prayer. I have nine questions that I want to ask about prayer. We're not going to get to all nine today, but there's some basic questions. Maybe we'll do nine lessons as we go through and, and deal with each one of these, but I want to lay them out, out today. Um, the first question about prayer. If God is in control, why should I pray? People think that sovereignty is like the case sera philosophy, right? Case sera sera, I don't know if that's French, um, Spanish. In Spi in Sp I knew what it meant in Spanish, Italian or Spanish. Um, whatever will be, will be, is, is the translation. And in other words, nothing we do changes anything, just whatever it, whatever it is, is. Um, but that's not, that's not an accurate view of God's sovereignty um, because understanding God's sovereignty is the understanding that God is in control of all things, but what is our proper response to it? Um, that case Sarai, Sarai attitude is like, you know, well, since God determined I'll be a sinner, I'll just be a sinner because that's the way he wanted me to be or that's the way he determined things to be. But um, that's, that's a false philosophy and it doesn't, account for God's sense of accountability that he has for each individual that he's going to judge each person according to their own acts no one will stand before him and say well I just was because I was and that's the way you determined it is your world you run it um, so the question is, is addressed this way because we have to account for God's sovereignty why should we pray so in Matthew chapter 6 um, he talks to us about prayer by giving us a model for prayer and in verse 9 let's just read through this this is something that we've seen even in our catechism so it's, it's a simple uh, truth but it's very important it's very critical to to our right thinking um, pray then like this our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You can put sense here. Since God is in control, why should I pray? Well, when we pray, we're acknowledging several things. God wants us to actively acknowledge things, and that's why he wants us to have a life of prayer. We're acknowledging things. I want you to, to answer out loud, and, and uh, let's talk about some of those things. What, what does our act of praying uh, acknowledge? What are we saying when we are praying? What are we acknowledging through the act of prayer? I wrote down some answers, but I'm sure that there's several answers here that you might dig out. Okay, that's one thing we are clearly acknowledging, or we need to be acknowledging when we pray. So that's the reason why we should pray, and we are, we are depending on God. What else? All right. It, it, we pray by faith, don't we? We can't see God, but our talking to him... Uh, acknowledges that he does exist. What else? 
Right, we're acknowledging that he is God in heaven. We are on earth. We need him, and we must come to him with, with our request. What else? Charles? Okay. All right. I've, I've, I've used that as an illustration oftentimes that I don't like when people come off, come to me off from off the street. They don't know me, but they're asking me for something. I feel uncomfortable with that. You don't know me. Why are you asking me for something? In other words, I have no responsibility to you <laughs> that you should ask or demand something from me. Okay? When we pray, we're saying, Lord, we do have a relationship with you. In fact, when Jesus taught us how to pray, it's one of the first things he says. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father. Acknowledge a relationship that we have as his children. He is our Father. All right, what else are we acknowledging? we pray. Can you think of anything else? So, so prayer is an act of faith. Since God is in control, why should I pray? Because God wants me to, to live out a life of faith. He wants me to, to, to actively live out my faith. He wants me to live by faith um, Humbly and willingly. An unsaved person could say this. God is in control. What I got to pray to him for? We are praying to him because we are acknowledging um, this life of faith, this life of dependency. That, yes, I acknowledge that you exist. I acknowledge that, that everything that I get comes from you. I acknowledge that I need to request and ask you for that to, to show that I'm dependent on you. So we, we humbly um, stand under his control. We're not fighting that control. We're acknowledging that. I'm glad you're in control because you're my father. You're my heavenly father. I'm comfortable with that. I place myself willingly under this. I'm not bucking this. I'm not fighting. I'm not shaking my fist. Why did you make it snow today, Lord? I hate you for that. No, I'm, I'm submitting myself willingly under your control. I'm acknowledging everything is in your control, but I'm doing that from a willing and, and a submissive um, standpoint. All right. So um, that's one of the questions. Let me just read off the other questions. We won't get to them today, but you can be thinking about them. Why did Jesus pray? That's one question I want to ask. Um, what should I pray for? The third question. The fourth question would be, are, are there things I shouldn't pray for? Let's talk about that. Um, can unbelievers pray? Am, how am I to pray for others or pray for unbelievers? Number seven, should I pray for trivial things or just my greatest needs? Should I pray for trivial things or just my greatest needs? Number eight would be, how should I pray in public? You can uh, combine that with this, should I actually pray in public? Is there a proper public pray prayer? We'll talk about that. You know, Jesus says when you pray, Go into your private place and pray. Don't pray like the hypocrites. They lo love praying in the streets. They love praying in the synagogue to be seen by others, to be heard by others. He said, don't pray like that. So it's a legitimate question is, should I pray 
um, in public. And then question number nine will be, is what type of prayer request should I give? That'd be pertinent for tonight, wouldn't it? What type of prayer request um, should, should I give? What should I be acknowledging or saying in my prayer request? So those are nine questions. I'll read them again, uh, but I'll, I'll try to get those written down for next time. You can have them all on one, one board, and then we'll start going through some of those. Um, we started off by trying to answer this question, why should I pray? I understand that God's control. Why should I pray? And the uh, second question, why did Jesus pray? Number three, what should I pray for? Number four, are there things I shouldn't pray for? Number five, can unbelievers pray? Number six would be, how am I to pray for others or unbelievers? Number seven, should I pray for trivial things or just my greatest needs? Number eight, how should I pray in public or even should I pray in public? And then number nine, what type of prayer request should I give? All right, so we will take some time uh, going through some of those questions each, each time we meet um, on Wednesday. And uh, before I close, one of the things that uh, we went through at our pastor's um, our, our conference on, on preaching, um, we went through Jonah and Nahum. And it's interesting, in Jonah chapter 1, in Jonah chapter 2 to look at, at Jonah or looked at, look at prayer in the book of Jonah. Um, something I kind of thought through as I was preparing uh, for our time together. And if you, you, re, you recall Jonah and what happens in chapter 1, what cha happens in chapter 1, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. And of course, Jonah disobeys. He gets in a ship and he goes, he wants to flee to Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh, right? So he pays the fare. He gets on this ship, and God sends a storm to this ship. He hurls a wind at this ship, and this ship is, is being tossed in this storm. And so the mariners on the ship um, trying to figure out what's going on. They, they, they're hauling off all of the stuff on the ship to try to get it stabilized. And they ask everybody, they say, every man call out to his God. So they're all praying because they're in danger, right? So in chapter 1, everybody's praying except Jonah. Except Jonah. Where's Jonah? He's down in the bottom of the ship, sleep. Sound asleep. There's a practical lesson there. If some people rest and are comfortable at times when they shouldn't be. <laughs> Oftentimes, when we are not in tune with God... We can be worried about things we shouldn't be worried about and calm and, and, and comfortable with things we shouldn't be comfortable with. Not alarmed at all. Peaceful. Peacefulness is not always a sign of spirituality, is it? <laughs> it certainly wasn't a sign with Jonah. There he is at the bottom of the ship. Everybody is praying except Jonah. And so I asked that kind of last question is can, it's not the last question, but um, can unbelievers pray? And what happens when unbelievers pray? Now, in chapter 2, the scene is turned. At the end of chapter 1, they throw Jonah out into the sea. And, of course, a great fish that God had appointed comes and, and takes Jonah up. Guess what happens now? Now he starts to pray. All of chapter 2 is his prayer, this long prayer. 
And so we're learning from prayer from a person, <laughs> a person that is rebelling and running from God. It's teaching us a little bit about prayer. So it's interesting in that prayer in, in, in Jonah. Then in chapter 3, God again tells Jonah, hey, go, go, go to, go to um, Nineveh and preach against that great city. And he goes and he preaches and he, he does that. We see them repent in chapter 4. Jonah's mad and he prays to God. And guess what he prays? I told you this was what was going to happen. I knew this was what was going to happen. I knew that you were going to uh, forgive them of their uh, atrocities against my people. You were going to forgive them. That's why they want to go. So that's his prayer. <laughs> So all through the book of Jonah, you have prayer going on, but it's not kind of how you would think of prayer. The wrong people are praying in chapter 1. Chapter 2, Jonah's praying, but only after he's been captured by the fish when he was rebelling and running from God. Chapter 3, he decides to do what God tells him to do. And in chapter 4, he prays again, and he's just having a bad conversation with God, but he's praying. So um, we don't want to pray like Jonah today. <laughs> but if you like Jonah, God, God will challenge you, and he'll, he'll still, he'll, he'll still, he's still in control. He's still uh, orchestrating the things of our life. So let's uh, learn what God would have us to, to learn from in our prayer and learn to appreciate God and learn uh, appreciate the access we have to him through prayer. Praise God. So was that was that considered to was that gonna was that the answer from one where you move to two next week? Question okay. So I was gonna say if God is in control, why wouldn't you pray to him? <laughs> Who else you gonna pray to, right? You want somebody something to get done. You better talk to the guy in charge. So let's get into Hebrews and our meditation. Continuing in chapter 9, verse 11, says, For when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For the, where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. And then skip down to the bottom verse 24 
For Christ has entered, not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. our meditation is this when Christ appeared when he came to earth and he he came and then he died what did he accomplish by his dying what did he accomplish by his resurrection and what is he accomplishing now now that he already ascended and is in heaven that's what this chapter answers and if you look at the book of Hebrews, it's a beautiful picture, a little bit of that diagram I showed on Sunday night. Anybody remember what that diagram I drew up on Sunday night, what that was meant to show? Hmm? Uh, that's one way of putting it. Um, but more accurately, Christ's work. Okay, Christ's work. All the parts, or another way of putting it is the gospel diagram pointed out the gospel when you look at the gospel um, one thing in our meditation that we can ask ourselves is what part of the gospel are we looking at here well, we definitely looking at death burial and resurrection right look at this when he says by his blood he died what did he accomplish by dying when he died he put into effect his will right Think of this, you ain't going to have a will unless somebody dies. And so God made a will and everybody's looking at, man, how can God make a will and how's that? I'm not going to get anything from God making a will. He can't die. But God took the form of a man, dies, and now the will is in effect. With his blood, by his dying, he purified us. That's what his blood did, it purified. And it says it purified our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. It also gave us life, right? So now we're not just talking about his blood, now we're talking about his resurrection. What does his resurrection do? It gives us life, right? If his death purifies us, his resurrection gives us life. And then we look in later, it says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself. What is he doing right now? He's in heaven itself, right? What is he doing in heaven, right? Is he just sitting there? Is he checking his phone? No. He's making prayers for us. He's praying for us. I think sometimes we can be too cavalier with prayer and sometimes we can be too scared of prayer. But for Christ, praying was just a conversation, right? 
So he's sitting there talking with God. He talking with God, he ain't. These people need this. He's on our behalf. And I can tell you this. My prayers might not always get through. But there's no prayer of Christ that won't get through. And if he's praying for us, we got the best prayer meeting going on up there. And that's why he went to heaven, so that he could pray for us. He is sovereignly praying for his church. Every single one of us that's saved, he's prayed for. He's thinking about each individual of us, right? And we go through our meditation, that should be something that impresses on us, that God is talking with us right now, that he's thinking about us. He also promised us this. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm going to be somewhere far away. I'll be in the midst. A communion, right? He's with us today. So then how should we behave in church, knowing that he's here? When two or three are gathered in his name, well, we got to ask ourselves, are we gathered in his name? Right? Sometimes I don't know if we are. Right? We might be gathered out of the sense of habit of just coming here. <laughs> right? But when two or three are gathered in his name, he's in the midst. And that means fellowship with God. So that's the beauty of the book of Hebrews, is that it points to the work of Christ. So that's our meditation today. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. Let's just have two people pray tonight. Um, just lift up our finances um, and our goal for the end of next month, as we can try to hit our fiscal goal. Um, and then I'll close us up. Easy peasy tonight. We just continue in prayer. We just continue to lift up our finances. Um, we ask that you just um, stir up your people here in this church, that we can give liberally and give to the point where we can meet our um, annual goal that we've set forth in the budget. I ask that you just... Um, bless those people who are giving liberally that they can give more and we ask that you convict those who aren't giving that you can just stir their hearts that um, this was something that they agreed upon for our budget and um, this is also a thing that you have or uh, orchestrated that um, your people do to fund the ministries um, and they are not right with you by not doing this so we ask that you just um, convict them of this um, give them a yearning to give and to um, do what they're supposed to and um, we ask that you just continue to fund this ministry we know you have the power to help us meet our needs and you know what we need and we ask that you just give the leadership team wisdom and how best to allocate the money that we do get in offerings in your name we pray amen